before we read the passage, I'm going to ask you a demanding and challenging question. One that might seem simple, but is very difficult to answer. Here's the question. Who are you? Who are you? Now these three simple words mask a severe complexity. Who are you? If you were to answer that question, how would you respond? Who are you? Would you say, I'm a wife and mother who enjoys good food and good company and good conversation? Who are you? Would you say, I'm an engineer. I've worked at Intel for the last two and a half decades and I'm looking forward to retirement. Who are you? Would you say, I'm an inquisitive person who consumes information. I enjoy reading podcasts and documentaries. Who are you? Would you say, well, I'm a disappointment. I've never really amounted anything, and I seem to fall short in everything. Who are you? Would you say, I'm a sophomore in college majoring in English. I have a big paper due on Thursday. Who are you? Would you say I'm an active person who likes to hike, run, and bike? Who are you? Would you say I'm a person that loves to travel and experience new cultures, unfamiliar food, and varied climates? Who are you? Would you say I know that I'm not who I'm supposed to be? I don't fit anywhere, and I often feel like a stranger, even in my own home. Who are you? What would you say? Would you say you're a student, an athlete, a retiree, an American, a mother, a father, a wife, an executive, a seeker, a Democrat, a Republican, a survivor? Who are you? Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 11, is going to help us answer that question today. You can have all kinds of opinions about who we are, but what we must do is look at the Scriptures and allow the Scriptures, the very voice of God, to speak to who we are, most fundamentally. We're going to answer this question, who are you? We're going to answer it each for all of us. The Scriptures in the Holy Spirit I trust, will help push us past typical and surface responses to the crux of our identity and who we are. We need to know how to answer that question because if we do not know how to answer that question, we will not know who we are and our identity will be confused and muddy. We won't know what we're to be about, what ought to define us. That answer The question, who are you, is in Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 11. If I were to summarize it in one sentence, I would say this. Christians, anyone here who's saved, Christians are people who are already new, being renewed. Christians are people who are already new, N-E-W, being renewed. I'm going to begin reading in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, just for a bit of context. And we're going to focus 
on verses 5 through 11. If you didn't hear Jim Hubeck's excellent sermon from last week, please look it up on the website. Please watch it on Facebook or whatever and benefit the way I did as I looked at it. So, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Now our section for this morning. Put to death, therefore, that what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now, you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Let's pray. Lord, you have no needs. You have no requests. You have everything. We have a great many needs. We have a great many requests. One of those is that we, as a people, would experience your presence through your word. We don't want to just learn. We want to know you. I pray that you would help us to hear your voice this morning in Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 11, as we all seek to answer the question, Who are you? Jesus, it's in your name we pray and stand and trust. Amen. Christian, who are you? What did we say? We are new people being renewed. We are new people being renewed. I get that from verse 9. Seeing that you put, have put off the old self, that's the old person you used to be, and have put on the new self, that's your new person, your new identity, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So who are we? We are new people being renewed. We Christians are new people being renewed. Last week we heard that we died with Jesus and have been raised with Jesus, and now we hear the message that we are new people being renewed. But what does that look like? What does it look like to be a new person in the process of renewal on a regular basis? Well, it looks like this. Here's what we look like. Here's what we ought to look like as new people being renewed. We kill, we purge, and we bind. We kill, we purge, 
and we bind. First, we kill. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. We Christians are called to be cold-blooded, ruthless killers of what? Sexual sin. Did you see that in verse 5? Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put to death. Put to death what is earthly in you. Don't pray about it. Don't consider what you ought to do. Put it to death. Now, the only reason we can be given this command to execute sin, even the entangling and debilitating sexual sin, is because we have died with Christ and have risen with Christ, and now we live in Christ. We need to get this order correct. Colossians has spoken to us for two whole chapters about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Though we were alienated, Jesus has reconciled us. Though we were guilty, Jesus has canceled our record of wrong. Though we were dead, Jesus has made us alive. And because we are alive and in Christ, we are already new, being renewed, which means we can execute sexual sin. It is interesting that the first sin Paul calls us to be radical with, to be ruthless with, to choke out, is sexual sin. An old pastor said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. This is especially true of sexual sin. The reason I think Paul shines a spotlight on sexual sin is because for many people, this is an identity issue. So often, people allow their identities to be shaped by their sexuality. And they can wrongly assume that they are who they sleep with, or they are who, they, who sleeps with them, or they are who they don't sleep with. This is patently false. We Christians, we are new people being renewed. We are no longer enslaved or subject to the power of sexual sin. But at the same time, Jesus... And his renewing strength touches every area of our lives. We're to kill. What does it say? Sexual immorality. This is a catch-all category for any sexual activity outside marriage, the marriage bed between one man and one woman. The Bible is very clear. Sex is reserved for one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage. Anything else is sexual immorality. Impurity is another big catch-all category that refers to any sexual activity outside marriage and the mark it leaves. Now, lest you think sexual sin is just physical, think again. We have three expressions that are in the mind. Passion, evil desire, covetousness. Passion could be rendered lust. It's wanting someone sexually that is not yours to have. Evil desire is very similar to lust. It's wanting someone or something sexually that is not yours. Covetousness is the unsuitable desire for someone different than your spouse. But the key word in all of this is in verse 5, the very last word. Let's read verse 5 again. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. That's surprising. What is idolatry? Idolatry is the worship of anything that is not God most high. 
So the root of all sexual sin is idolatry. Now, I can hazard a guess that, if, that none of us would be tempted to worship a statue. Like if we erected a statue outside, for whatever stupid reason, but if we did, I can imagine that none of you would say, you know what, I'm going to serve this statue. I'm going to bring food to this statue. I'm going to sing to this statue. I'm going to love this statue, and I'm going to just give my life for this statue. All of us would say, that is the most ridiculous thing I ever heard. Even more ridiculous is the idolatry of sexual immorality. It's idolatry. The root of sexual sin is the worship of another god. Sexual sin is the worship of pleasure or power or intimacy or whatever, but not God. We need to understand that anyone who lives a life of sexual immorality is not worshiping God. It's not. You might be here and you're a Christian being convicted of some sort of sexual sin. What are you to do? Feel guilty? Be condemned? No. Pray about what to do? No. What are we to do? Kill it. Execute it. And I'm not saying it's easy, but I am saying you have access to a new power. Why? Because you are already new being renewed. God would never command us to do something in His Word if we could not actually do it. That'd be horrible and mean. Now, what if you're not a Christian? I want you to listen especially carefully. Salvation does not come through sexual ethics. I'm not saying that you should live a sexually righteous life and therefore you can be confident that you are saved. I'm not saying you must have the right view of marriage. Then you can be saved. Salvation comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. Don't think that you can just change your sexual behavior and then have Jesus be pleased with you. No. You need Jesus to make you alive and to make you new so that you can have the power to change. And guess what? Jesus forgives even sexual sin. Because sometimes sexual sin leaves a mark. It leaves a mark that seems like it defines us who we are. But it is not our identity. Christians, we have Jesus as our Savior. He has made us new. And we are being renewed. And as, renewed, as new people being renewed, we are called to kill sexual sin. The second thing we're called to do is purge. Purge. And I get this from Colossians Chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. What are we to purge? What are we to purge? Verse 8, But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. What are we to put away? Evil speech. It's fascinating to me that the first thing Paul addresses that we need to kill is sexual sin. The second thing is our mouths, what we say. These are two things. Sex is a gift in marriage. Speech is a gift given to us from God. But two things that we can twist so easily. Speech is for building others up and worshiping God. Speech is for expressing thankfulness to a God who's given us all kinds of gifts. Speech is for rejoicing and exulting in God. 
But so often, our speech doesn't reflect that reality. Paul is telling us where it doesn't purge that kind of speech. Get rid of it. What are we to purge from our lives? Angry speech, wrathful speech, speech, malicious speech, slanderous speech, obscene speech. Sexual sin is easy to spot and is often often accompanied by shame. Not so with speech. Not so with speech. We don't have the right to use our speech to spread our anger and our rancor and our bitterness to anyone else. It's natural and it's expected that we get angry, but we must purge the impulse to spread that anger by our words. We have no right. Not now, not ever. Does your mouth give voice to thanksgiving or does it give voice to anger? If anger, we must purge. We must purge the anger. We must purge the impulse to express wrath toward others by saying what punishment we think they deserve. We've not been asked to help. God has not asked us to help with punishing other people. Interestingly, we have been asked to judge angels one day, but not other people. We have no right to express judgment about anyone else. Not now, not ever. Does our, vo- does our mouth, does our speech give voice to encouragement or wrathful speech? If wrath, we must purge it. We must purge malice, which is using our speech to harm others or put them in their place with our words. We have no right to express malice toward any other person. Not now, not ever. Does your mouth pour forth kindness toward others or malice? If malice, we must purge it. We must purge slander from our mouths. We do not have the right to spread reports that defame and belittle other people. We have no cause to use our words to denigrate anyone else in any form. Not now, not ever. If our mouths are used to spread slander, we must purge that slander. We must purge obscene talk from our mouths. Now, this is not so much an expression of what we might think of as foul language, but it's obscene talk. The obscenity of this talk is talk that makes people feel small, unimportant, and invisible. We have not the right to make people feel that way with our speech. Does your voice, does your mouth pour forth grace toward others, encouragement, toward others, kindness, gentleness, patience toward others, or obscenities toward others. Now, because we are new, being renewed, we must act in concert with our new nature and put away these remnants of evil speech. Now, one thing we need to be very clear about, Paul is not saying that there is no place for us to be angry at sin or injustice or cruelty. There is a place for us to do that, and we must. Sin and injustice and cruelty are things that should make us angry. And there are times that we must warn each other of people who are liars, fools, and slanderers. Sometimes godly speech mandates that we warn other people. But even in the warning of others, we have no right to denigrate them personally or speak 
but just speak to the content of what they said or their, of their speech. So what is the content of your speech? You might be a person who would never think to utter a curse word and yet still have a foul mouth because you talk about people. You put people down. Because you have malice that comes out. Scripture is far more concerned with what we say about others than whether or not we say a bad word. Now surely, all of us, all of us have patterns of speech to put away, to purge. All of us, if we examine the content of what pours forth from our mouth, all of us have things that we need to cut away. And it even gets more. Verse 9 says, top of all that, do not lie to one another. And it can feel like, as we read the five things Paul described as sexual sins that we need to kill, and five other things that we need to purge that comes forth from our mouth, it can feel like Paul is just distilling the Christian life down to a list of things to do and not do. Really here, a a list of things to avoid. Sam Storms expresses a sentiment that you might feel. He says, the passage says something like this, put to death sexual immorality, avoid covetousness, stop lying, do this, don't do that, taboos, prohibition, commandments, rules, enough already. Oh, but we need to look closely here. We need to look closely. We do not and did not gain Christ by avoiding bad things and doing good things. That is not the gospel. We do not gain salvation based on our sexual purity or the speech that comes forth from our mouth. We gain salvation because we are in Christ. The reason that we can kill sexual immorality and purge evil speech is because of what we read in verses 9 and 10. Look there again. Do not lie to one another. Here we go. Watch this. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. What have we already done, Christians? We have put off the old self. We have put it off. That is language from the past. We have put off our old self. And what else? We don't just get rid of bad habits. or try, we, don't just, we, we also put on the new self. And we put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. The reason that you can kill and purge is because you have already put on the new self. When you began to trust Jesus, Jesus has made you new. You have become a new person. You see, that's the idea here we see in verse 10. You have put on the new self. To answer our questions, who, our question, who are you? I am a new person. There's one way to answer that question. I am a new person. I have a new self. And that's the only reason Paul can direct us when it comes to sexual sin, and Paul can direct us when it comes to avoiding slanderous and evil speech. Because why? Because we are new people. We have different desires. We have different impulses. We have different ways. We want to please the Lord. Not everybody wants to please the Lord. We are different. We are regenerated. We are forgiven. We are reconciled. We are new. The break with our old self, if we're Christians, has already happened in the past. You see, 
Paul is pointing to the work that's already been done, done in us and calling us to work in concert with Jesus to continue the work that has begun. We could say we need to continue to be who we are. Who are we? We're the new self. We have a new self. We're a new person. No. We, um, yes, we are a new person. And we are being renewed in the knowledge after the image of our Creator. We are new. We are different. Therefore, we have the strength to kill sexual sin and purge evil speech. But I want you to notice something else in verse 10. I want you to notice the passive voice. And you have put, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed. That doesn't say you need to renew yourself. But it says, which is being renewed, which gives us the understanding and the idea that we do not renew ourselves, but we work in concert with God, by the power of the Spirit to renew us into what? Not a better version of ourselves, but into what? The image of its creator. Into what? Into Jesus. Our renewal is possible because of the work that we can do in partnership with him. This is important to understand. At conversion, we become new creations. Our lives are hidden with Jesus. We are seated with Him in the heavenly places. We have died and risen with Him. We are now in Christ. All of that is true, but all of that's very invisible. It's hard to see. Can't see it. The way you can see the difference Jesus makes is by the renewal process that, that you undergo as Christians. You become new, and you are being renewed. Because you are converted, you can kill, kill sexual sin and purge evil speech. You see, the picture here in Colossians chapter 3 is not one of moral reformation. It's not becoming, it's, it's not becoming different by our own strength of will. Accessing his power to help us kill sexual sin and purge evil speech. Now, there's two, two things to avoid here. When we think about this remaining sin in our lives, one is quietism and one is solitude. Quietism is the disposition that says we don't have to do much, if anything at all. All we have to do is let go and let God and be passive. False. This passage tells us that we need to be radical, that we need to be decisive, that we need to put to death. There is no let go and let God there. We, what do we do with sexual sin? We put it to death. What do we do with, with evil speech? We purge that, that, that kind of speech. It takes determination. It takes action. It takes hard work. It t- sometimes it takes radical action. It takes sometimes life-altering decisions. If you sit around and wait to feel like purging sin, you never will. That's one extreme. The other extreme is solitude. And by that I mean that you think that you are completely on your own to change yourself by yourself, to make yourself by the strength of your own will different. False. His power is the power you must access to kill sexual sin and purge evil speech. And you might think, 
This whole thing is just overwhelming. I can't get there. I've had these patterns that I've struggled with for years. I'm ask forgiveness and ask forgiveness and ask forgiveness. I need help. I want you to see that you, if you're a Christian, you are built to do this. You are built to kill sexual immorality. And you are built to purge evil speech. You are built for this. Why? Because you are new. And because he will renew you. You were built for this. It might seem impossible, but you were built for this. Let me explain what I mean. I have my home. My household owns two dogs. If you've been around, you've heard me talk about the older one. His name is Moses. Last Christmas, we were taking hold of my wife and I. For whatever reason, I'm not sure why, but we got the kids a puppy. And the puppy has brought a lot of happiness, but also a lot of chaos into our lives. And the puppy's name is Lucy. And here's a picture of Lucy. She looks cute. She looks cute, but looks can be deceiving. She's a killer. She's a killer. She's got teeth designed to get animals that are smaller than her. Last week, because of the cool weather, at night, my wife and I opened up one of the windows in our kitchen. And as we were sitting and talking, the window that didn't have a screen, a little sparrow flew into our house. Little one, really little, small. Flew into our home and was flying around on the ceiling trying to escape. So I felt bad. My wife felt like yelling. Um, and so my, I thought, I'm going to get this little bird and take this little bird gently into my two hands and put this little bird outside in the backyard and let the little bird go off to freedom and love and happiness and whatever birds do. So the bird would fly around in the ceiling and then land on different windowsills. And so I would come up slowly to try to put my hands around the bird and the bird would flip out and fly away. And so it had no idea I was trying to help. Now, Lucy was not trying to help. Lucy was howling and screaming and barking. Lucy was essentially, if she could speak, she was saying, I'm getting that. That's mine. And so the bird is flying around our home, and then all of a sudden, this little sparrow made a fatal mistake. She landed on the ground, and in less than a second, Lucy got her. Um, got her. Lucy's lightning fast. She's close to the ground. She has four legs. She has a mouth that can strike fast. And before I could say stop, she got her. And the poor little sparrow went to sparrow heaven right there. (laughs) Now, why was she able to catch the bird and I wasn't? I had, I wasn't built for it. I wasn't built to catch birds with my hands. She is built to catch birds and other small animals with her mouth, and she was good at it. Now, what is this all? What is this all about? Just as she was built to get this little bird, you, Christian, are built now, rebuilt, 
to kill remaining sexual sin and purge evil speech. You're built that way because you have been made new and because God is about renewing you. He has already put your old, you have already put your old self off and God is about making you different by his power. More capable than Lucy is to catch this little sparrow, you are able to kill sexual sin and purge the sin of speech. So remember our question from the beginning. Who are you? You are already new being renewed. You are already new being renewed. And what are we being renewed into? Look at the last part of verse 10 which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We're being renewed to look and resemble Jesus. See, our goal is that our renewed lives, we would be people that love like Jesus and speak like Jesus and serve like Jesus and think like Jesus and love what Jesus loves and hate what Jesus hates and act like Jesus acts and encourage others like Jesus would. In short, we begin We must, as we become renewed, we become more and more like our Savior. We are already new being renewed to resemble Jesus. And so we kill and we purge. And lastly, we bind. I get that from Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. We bind ourselves to other people. Just as we are bound to Christ, we are bound to other people. This renewal is not something that happens individually alone, but in community together. Verse 11, here, where? In the community of Christians, in the church, in this local church. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Paul is not saying we don't have differences in our education, our race, socioeconomic background. He's not saying that they don't matter, but he's, what he's saying is all of those things, all of those things are not what unites you. Jesus is. So in the church, we might say it this way. Here, there is not American and immigrant. There is not Democrat and Republican. There is not rich and poor. There is not white collar and blue collar. But Christ is all, meaning Christ is the most important one. Christ is the most important dynamic, the most important identity marker in all of us. And Christ is in all. No matter who you are, whether you're American or not, Democrat or Republican, rich or poor, white collar, blue collar, you, as a Christian, have Christ. And therefore, he defines who you are. Not your money, politics, education, citizenship, nothing else. And this brings us back to where we started. Who are you? We're new people being renewed to be like Jesus. Who kill sexual sin, purge evil speech, and are bound together so that we might become more and more like Jesus. That's who we are. And may we be more and more like him. May we fix ourselves on Jesus. Let's pray. But I pray for all of us in this room who may be experiencing the pangs and pricks of conviction. I pray, Lord, that you would, I pray, I pray that you would just help 
Christian, genuine Christians, not to walk away and just feel condemned and ashamed and guilty. I pray, Lord, that that conviction would, be, would, would motivate them to action, would motivate them to, to, to work toward killing sexual sin and sins of speech. I pray that you would help us to be sober in how we examine our sexual lives and our, our lives of speech. And I just ask that you would just help us to be just aware, Lord, of those things that we must kill and purge. And as we become aware of them, Lord, may we not coddle them, Lord. May we kill them. May we kill them. And Lord, sometimes those things get new life later, but may we kill them again. We put evil speech away and sometimes it comes back and may we put it away again. Most of all, Lord, I pray that we would be a people that resemble you. I pray that we would resemble you. I pray that when we think about who we are, we start with you. And the fact that you have made us new and you are continuing to renew us. It's in the name of Jesus, the one who has made us new and is working to renew us even now that we pray. Amen.